Alexa Philippou, I want to go back to March with you because that is when the University of Miami women's basketball team lost in the second round to the eventual NCAA champions, South Carolina. And I will admit to you now that this is a game I did not think I would be revisiting on this show months later. But how did that game go for the underdog Miami Hurricanes? They actually held South Carolina, again, the national champions by the time this was all said and done, to under 50 points. And an absolute defensive back and forth today. And no one else had managed to do that at all in the season. Yeah, super impressive. 49 points. 49 points. The Gamecocks are held to by Miami. Exactly. There's just one issue, though, as in Miami scored 33 points and they shot 23.9% from the floor and were eliminated from the tournament. South Carolina to the Sweet 16 for the 12th time behind the 26th straight double-double for Aaliyah Boston. We will see the Gamecocks in Greensboro. And South Carolina goes on to win the national title. So you score 33 points on sub 24% shooting. I do remember this game now for that reason. I remember being like, how is this offense so bad? Exactly. And I think that's the question that Katie Meyer, the head coach of Miami and her staff was trying to address when they met as a group after that loss. They knew they needed scores. They knew they needed more of an offensive punch, maybe someone who could shoot from the outside. And then someone on her staff responded in the middle of this discussion. It might end up being two for one. Mm. And that's where the Cavender sisters come in. Yeah. So the Cavender sisters, for the uninitiated, who are they? Who, how would you begin to describe their deal? So Haley and Hannah Cavender are twin sisters who up till this past spring were stars at Fresno State. At one guard, a 5'6 sophomore out of Gilbert, Arizona, number zero, Anna Cavender. At guard, another 5'6 sophomore, Gilbert, Arizona, number one, Haley Cavender. And unlike other athletes at the women's basketball level, or maybe even in general, across a lot of college sports, they had these massive social media followings, including 4.1 million followers on their joint TikTok account. The twins are not just stars on the court, but on TikTok, where they post videos for their more than 3 million followers. This is something that we've been super passionate about for a couple of years now, just making content, like starting our own brand. Okay, so we are doing a photo shoot and I'm gonna bring you guys along with us. And I'm gonna start by doing my hair. Okay, so we are doing a what we eat today. So we did our infamous cottage cheese breakfast pancakes. Mm-hmm. I can already tell, Alexa, this is one of those episodes we do where I just begin to feel ancient. Well, you know what TikTok is, so it's not like we're explaining that totally, right? <laughs> I, I know just enough to be <laughs> depressed about the fact that here are these two college athletes who have, yeah, they sit astride the social media economy in many ways. That's how I know of them from afar. Right. And so what they've done that's really distinguished themselves is that they turned that social media presence into a swath of NIL deals. They now have 40-something deals with Mm. companies like Champs and WWE and 
You might even remember they had this big billboard up in New York's Times Square after they signed with Boost Mobile Yes. on the first day that NIL was allowed. Just after midnight, college basketball stars Hannah and Haley Cavender found out they scored their first endorsement deal. Right, your contract was successfully signed. Cavender Twins times Boost Mobile. <laughs> the Twins gained notoriety with their massive social media followings, paving the way for them to become the first college athletes to sign a deal on July 1st with Boost Mobile, ushering in a new era with a billboard in Times Square. Like, on in Times Square, guys. And so while they're maybe not as well-known from a basketball perspective, they are very much well-known in the NIL space. Yeah, I think of them as arguably the first and probably best test case of college athletes who are becoming rich and famous now for reasons that don't seem to have a ton to do with the sports they actually play. Yeah, and I think the Cavender Twins, they don't shy away from that. I mean, they did really well in the Mountain West. They were the number one, number two players for Fresno State, but they're not out here trying to pretend like they're like an Aaliyah Boston or a Paige Beckers, the mm. last two reigning national players of the year. They're dedicated to their craft. They love basketball. They care enormously about it. They put into wor- the work to get better. And that, as Miami assistant coach Shanice Johnson told me, that they're effing ballers. <laughs> she actually told me this story too about after the Cavender Twins had committed, multiple coaches from opposing teams came up to her and said, oh, you guys got those Instagram models, huh? Can they actually play basketball? <laughs> and so Shanice would respond, yeah, we got those Instagram models. Don't worry. And then she would wink at them and, and walk away. This is the exact quote she told me, that we're going to punch a lot of people in the mouth and people are going to have to eat their words. I can't wait for it. We had been waiting for the name, image, and likeness revolution for a very long time. And we'd assumed that once college athletes got a chance to make money off themselves, that the biggest winners of this newly unlocked economy would be obvious. It would be the star quarterbacks, the All-Americans, the prospects already on their way to the pros. But in the social media economy, it turns out, what you're really monetizing is your audience. And that is a whole skill unto itself. So today, we tell the story of the Cavender twins, Hannah and Haley, as their college lives, which are already broadcast to millions of followers, are about to change. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Wednesday, November 2nd. This is ESPN Daily. So, Alexa, where did this story begin for the Cavender twins? Not the whole, like, influencer, TikTok, millions of followers, stardom stuff, but just the actual desire to play basketball. So, the Cavender twins are two of five girls in their family, to their mother, Katie, and their father, Tom. And they joke to me that their dad put their kids into sports sort of thing because, you know, he didn't get a boy. So they kind of, you know, got into sports as a way to connect with their father sort of thing. So all the mm. all the girls played sports. They all played basketball. But the twins were very clearly a next level. They were clearly different. They were the kids that had to be put into the older age groups. And then eventually they were playing in some all-boys leagues starting in the fifth grade. And 
other parents, Tom told me, would come up to him and complain about how unfair it was that their kids had to face his daughters. <laughs> and I think as most people know with twins, there's often a little bit of a competitive dynamic. And that was something that as close as the Cavender twins are to this day, they were also competing since birth. Their mom, Katie, told me that Haley tended to crawl and walk first because she was the larger twin at birth. But Hannah was like going right up behind her. She wasn't letting her go too far ahead of things. So you had that dynamic as well. And then also they were just kind of born bold and fearless. Katie remembers them doing backflips off of this rock wall that was in their backyard into their pool at their new home. But they were like three years old, maybe three and a half. And so they were always just, oh God. I... you know, next level, throwing <laughs> their bodies around, being competitive. First off, as the dad of a three-year-old girl, almost, that is <laughs> truly terrifying. Uh, but second of all, so they have these precocious sort of talents that they're showing off early on. How is it that they land at Fresno State and how does that go once they get there? Right. So they decided in junior high that they really wanted to try to play together. And then they were able to go through high school, AAU, and have these really good careers. They felt, though, that they were overlooked often because of their size. And so even to this day, they're listed as five as five foot six, which is not mm. super tall for guards. No. So they were ranked three-star recruits going into college. And it really, the mid-majors were the best opportunity they had, which is something that Haley talked about. We decided junior high, we're like, okay, we want to play Division One basketball together. Like, we want to go together. Um, we share the love of the game together, and I think that's why we love it so much. But um, we decided on Fresno. They were after us when we were really young, I think, like, freshman year. And um, I wanted to go somewhere where we could play right away together. And I yeah. think that that's what we did for the last three years at Fresno. And so they went together to Fresno State and did really well once they got there. Haley was the Mountain West Player of the Year as a sophomore. Drive, spins, Haley, left hand, yes! <laughs> Hannah was a two-time All-Mountain West selection. Shot clock down and stolen. That's Hannah Cavender. Steps through, right hand, got it! They had it all in terms of a lot of these accolades, but they had only appeared in one Mountain West title game, and that was their freshman year. They lost, and so they never made an NCAA tournament. And so that's what they were looking for. That's what they were missing and what they wanted to seek when they decided to enter the transfer portal. We entered the portal because I think we put so much time into the game, and we wanted to get to the March Madness tournament. I mean, that's always was our goal even at a young age. So just trying to set ourselves up to compete at the highest level. And so what did Miami think of these influencers who suddenly wanted to extend their reach on the court? So when Katie Meyer, the coach, ended up getting on the phone with them, she actually said she was blown away by how seriously they were taking this basketball stuff. She didn't feel like she was talking to influencers. It was all the basketball questions they were asking about the system she was running, about their potential roles about Meyer's coaching style, whether she was going to be tough on her players. That's what stood out to her. Yeah. And so once she saw that, she knew that these were these players that she could maybe really take advantage of and have a good time with. But as for how their entire online empire started, I do want to explain that origin story too here. And it does seem like... The twins, like many of us, really fell into the internet in 2020. Right. 
that is the case because they were back home. Actually, all five sisters were back home in Arizona at this time. And like so many of us, they were bored and they didn't know what to do during that summer of 2020. So I guess the way that they described it to me is Hannah went up to Haley and was like, let's try and make some videos. Like, let's try and do some TikToks. And one thing they made clear is that they had no intention of this blowing up and becoming famous the way that they have. It was just something they were looking to do when they were bored at home during COVID. And so they did a lot of these synchronized dribbling videos. And I think the biggest one that people might remember is they did the synchronized dribbling to the song like chicken wing, chicken wing, hot dog and bologna. I can't believe I just <laughs> sang on the podcast, but this is a great, a great debut. Yes. Yes. For you on the show. Yeah. Well, people probably recognize that tune if they're on TikTok. So it blew up and to this day, it remains one of their most popular videos on TikTok with nearly 30 million views. And mm. that's where this whole thing really took off. And my question is simply, why? Why did this take off? There are so many things, Alexa, on TikTok, on the internet. Why did this cut through, do you think? So I actually posed this question to the twins. And the way that they described it is that they think a lot of people love the twin aspect. And if you actually watch their videos, and I will be honest with you, when I was watching their TikToks and YouTubes before I went to Miami to meet them, I really struggled to figure out which was which. And this was a great cause of anxiety for me personally. because I Understandably. <laughs> right? Because they they were both blonde. They're both the same height. They're both very fit. They, they just like looked alike. Like their face. I don't know. Like I, I couldn't completely figure it out. And so I, I do see how even like someone just going on their feed would be like, oh, wow. Like this is kind of cool. Like there's like two people that look alike doing the same thing. You know, doing all these cool dribbling tricks. But as time went on, too, I think the other thing that they they would attribute their fame to is that, you know, they did have the athlete thing going for them. Even if they weren't super prominent college athletes, they were college athletes at the Division One level. And they have these other outside interests beyond basketball. They're really interested in fitness. And they'll also post about fashion and other things in the kind of like wellness realm. So they have these different interests that aren't just about basketball. And that's allowed them to have this really interesting intersection of an audience that isn't just like the diehard sports fans, but people that are interested in these other areas as well. But what you're describing, Alexa, truly is a phenomenon, right? I mean, here are these college athletes who are this combination of fitness model and internet celebrity and athlete, and they seem to be an economy unto themselves. They are these kind of larger-than-life figures in this space. And they've really approached it as a business. And they're approaching their basketball as a business as well. So don't even ask me how they're doing it all because I know how it was like in college and I couldn't figure out how to do that all. Same. But they've really had this great intersection of being accomplished athletes, being so great at social media and having these other interests. And it's really taken off where they are where they are not now. And they're these huge stars. Coming up, what the twins say about their stardom and their critics. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? 
Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Alexa, the Cavender twins have now reportedly made almost $2 million thanks to their names and images and their likeness. And it all started out of COVID boredom. But when did that economy start being more intentionally engineered? Did they have any idea that it could play out this way? So I don't think they had any idea when they first were making those TikToks that it could lead to almost $2 million a few years later. In fact, you know, when I was with them a week or two ago, they were just like, yeah, we never could have imagined. But obviously, when it began to look like NIL was going to be a thing and that was going to happen finally after all these decades of it not, Mm. what I understood was that they really were able to put the pieces into place, get their ducks in a row, so that as soon as it became official on July 1st, they were ready to go. They were ready to hit the ground running. And we saw that, actually, because shortly after midnight, they were signing deals with Boost Mobile and Six Star Pro Nutrition. They had that billboard, as you mentioned earlier, on Times Square. And between that and the work ethic and everything else going on, they were able to become these huge NIL stars. Which really does disrupt our understanding of the typical athlete endorsement marketplace that we've been watching for decades. Because typically, right, the biggest star, your Michael Jordan equivalent, just gets the biggest deal. But in this more of a market-yourself economy where everybody owns their accounts and their audiences, you don't need to be, say, uh, Sabrina Ionescu to be a big winner. And so what does all of this say, do you think, about the era that we're living in? So for one, I think it says that women's sports are really able to flourish in this era. And that's what's really exciting about what we've seen across the board, not just from the Cavender Twins, is that this has been an opportunity for different female athletes, especially in the basketball space, to really assert their names and brands and get followings and honestly make money because they know that it's a lot harder to make money in the pros. But... This conversation, it would be remiss not to mention what I talked about even with the twins is what they would describe as their privilege. They know that certain athletes at the NIL level, at the WNBA level, are getting certain opportunities that's not equitably distributed. They know they have a lot of privilege is the word that they use because of how they grew up and the opportunities their parents were able to provide for them. And they're very cognizant of that. They're also cognizant of that they're white, they're blonde, and I I don't know if I love this term, but they're quote-unquote conventionally attractive, Mm. I guess, is like the best way to put it, maybe. But they're aware of that, and they're aware that the fact that, yeah, those opportunities that maybe even some of their teammates or their peers across the sport, like, aren't necessarily able to get as, as easily. And that's something that's kind of confounding to them. And while they're able to benefit from that, I think... They're also cognizant that there's these complexities behind, you know, who's popular, you know, and what that means for other people that are also deserving too, or have other things going for them as well, whether or not it's at the NIL kind of college athlete level or even in the pros. 
And so given that introspection, that kind of self-awareness there, what do they say about the people who would criticize the specific sort of image, the brand that they project? So I did actually ask them basically if they thought anything that they posted contributed to these preconceptions or misconceptions that people have of them. And they were pretty unapologetic on that front, more so when it related to like what they were posting and how they, I mean, they said it themselves, like they like to show off their bodies because they love fitness. They've worked really hard to have like a really fit body. The way that Hannah said it is it's more of a personal problem if people judge them. Sure, right. And, you know, they said like, you know, if we're, you know, women and even men, like we should be uplifting each other if this is what makes us feel good and confident and and cute. And I think that's a that's a valid answer to a large extent. They also pointed out that a lot of other 21-year-olds, and that's the crazy thing to all this to me. I have to remind myself they're also 21-year-olds. Like I know. I mean, Alexa, <laughs> I mean, they, you're describing like high-level athletes who, yes, put a lot of work into their bodies. Also, they are in college. And also, like, this is... Uh, it's truly a lot to ask to ne negotiate branding at that age in a global sense. Absolutely. But I mean, I saw their point when they were saying a lot of other 21-year-olds, a lot of other college-age people or influencers are posting stuff like this. So now I couldn't disagree with them with that either because yeah, that's, that's true. That is true. And so I, I guess... If you're the Cavender Twins and you're pretty savvy about how it is that you want to grow your business and prepare for life after college and, and beyond, where does transferring out of Fresno State where you were wildly successful in your own, like, you know, we can do this anywhere sort of a way, right? Because it's the internet. Well, why did they decide to leave? They told me they wanted to leave because they wanted to make the NCAA tournament and they wanted to be challenged by a coach who could help get them there. And so Miami has been to the NCAA tournament most of the last decade, and they have a great coach in Katie Meyer. Now, when I kind of asked their agent and, and other people around the industry, what does transferring to Miami mean for them? Their agent said that it's actually allowed them to pick up a pretty significant East Coast following, and that's allowed brands to double down on them because they can now really sell them as they're these really domestic, if not even global stars that not as regionally focused. But the twins continue to maintain that this was driven by basketball and that they wanted to be able to make the tournament and that Miami was the team, was the program that was going to get them there. You know, when I think about the evolution of social media also, I, I think of apps like uh, Be Real, where authenticity is increasingly essential to selling yourself online, as contradictory as that might sound. Uh, so did your real life experience with the twins compare to what you had expected given their social media personas? Well, I didn't know what I was going into, to be completely honest, like going into this trip. I had watched their YouTube videos. I had watched their TikToks. So I just was like, okay, well, we'll see what happens when I get there. But they really stood out to me about how much they're always in the gym, how much they're getting extra shots up and constantly watching film. Like I had the first day I was there for an interview, they actually had to cut it short because they were able to get in to watch film with their head coach. And then the next day I was there, um, they apparently texted the head coach to see if they could watch film before practice, but she was busy and couldn't do it. And then the day after, the third day I was there, I watched, like they walked out of her office and the coach turned to me and she's like, yep, see, I told you, they constantly just want to watch film and get better. 
which is something that Haley talked about. So after practice, I'm like, coach, like, when can we watch film? And she was like, you just need to hit me up, like, whenever and come to my <laughs> office since that day, every day. I'm like, can I get in? Like, when's, when's film? She probably gets annoyed of it, but honestly, I just, like, love watching film. So the level of seriousness they have about basketball was something I didn't fully expect and something that was very apparent just spending time around there. After the break, what happens to the first NIL stars after they leave college behind? Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Alexa, the more I learn about influencers and YouTubers and TikTok stars, the more apparent it is to me that burnout is a genuine concern because your life is literally your job at that point. So how do the twins feel about being expected to post in perpetuity? It's a kind of paradoxical situation in some ways because I think they feel enormously blessed and are very much aware of all these opportunities that have come their way. But at the same time, I do think it's true that they like when they can unplug and they like when they can just get away from it all. And Haley, even more so than Hannah, she said she's the one who, the more she's on social media, the more she doesn't like it. And I think a lot of that is because of all the outside chatter that they have to deal with. And Sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's the most relatable, I think, human response imaginable to being online all the time. You know, the idea of like, man, it's really, this is really not as fun as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? Because without it, you know, they wouldn't have this incredible business that they've built up, but it also has these other consequences. And the the biggest thing I took from spending time with them is they also want people to know that be very careful about the assumptions you make of people on social media, even if you think you know them. And to me, that's like the biggest really issue with social media sometimes is that, and maybe we're all guilty of this, right? Like we think we know yes. people because now that we have social media, we can see pretty much anytime we want what they're up to. We can see that they're posting selfies or that they're doing X, Y, Z and it's constant and it's, it can be instantaneous. And we think we know everything about their lives, but the twins would say, yes, we post a lot. And yes, we're showing you these elements of our lives, but you don't actually know us. Hannah in particular opened up a little bit to me and she said that she's struggled with mental health issues in the past and that it's really tricky for her situation in a way because 
she recognizes how blessed she is and how mm. all these amazing opportunities she has are, are things that maybe no other person, let alone a 21-year-old college student, can dream of. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't mean she's not human. It doesn't mean she can't have these negative feelings or bad days or go through these these problems. And And I could tell she was kind of grappling with whether or how to address that publicly because there is a sense of like, I don't want others to judge me because I'm supposed to, you know, I have it all on paper, but yet I'm still going through this. But uh, it definitely gave me a lot to think about too, in terms of how I even approach social media or if I think I know these people who I see online all the time. And it sounds like Haley and Hannah, right? Like as they are seniors now at the University of Miami, they do have a lot in front of them. Like, What's on the table here, Alexa, as you understand it now? So they're going to go about this season in the ACC, which I think is the best conference in the country this year. I'm going to put that on the record. Um, Mm. They have another year of eligibility that they could use thanks to the COVID, and they said it would be TBD, whether or not they use it. I think Haley seemed more willing to say, look, if there's any opportunity to play basketball down the line, I'm going to be the first one to take it. Hannah seemed really interested in all the other kind of entrepreneurial stuff that their NIL business has allowed them to get exposed to. So maybe that means real estate or fashion or fitness or or who knows, like using their brand, it could be a number of different directions. But in some ways, there's a lot that's yet to be seen or yet to be told. We don't know how their transition to the ACC will be. It's going to be, again, this is tough for any player to come into the ACC, I think, especially a program that has a good amount of returners like Miami, but then also in terms of their NIL and their brand and what does this mean for after they graduate Miami? And that's where we're going to have to see where they decide to take it. And so at the end here, it does occur to me, right, as we marvel and inspect the empire that the twin college athlete influencers of their generation have built, that we don't really have any precedent for what you're supposed to do after you leave college, (laughs) right? Like, what do they think the end game is here? When I kind of posed this to them, they both emphasized, look, we had no idea we'd be where we are two years ago, even a year ago. So it's really hard to even think that far in the the future, which again, as a college athlete or a college student, like I think it was very relatable. They both actually expressed interest in trying to help the next generation of NIL athletes. And if that means giving advice or, or whatnot, that's something that they could do. But I do think it's, you know, a lot of this, like you said, is we're going to have to end up watching to find out because there's no trail that kind of explains where these kids go in this NIL era. It's so just, it's so new for everyone. Alexa Philippou, thank you for helping us on ESPN Daily. Thanks for having me, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.